If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 2 Peter as we continue to work our way through this uh, book of the Bible. And as I was thinking about this uh, text today, this is kind of like a, a family chat. When you gather the family around and you've got some hard things to say, they're not always easy things to say, but you just need to say them as a family. And so that's kind of how I look at these verses with the people of God. They're not all easy things to say, but they're things that we need to hear and need to be reminded of from God's Word. So if you have your Bibles open, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, um, beginning at verse 1. This is the Word of the Lord. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Father, we do come before you today, and we come now with listening ears. You've got us in this room, you've gathered us here, and so I pray that you would just help us to maybe relax and say, okay, um, Father, what is it that you want from me? God, what is it that you need me to hear? Father, I do ask that you would give us minds that will receive what you have to say, that will give us minds that will work through these truths. Father, that you will give us hearts to believe. Sometimes it takes some time to work these things through, but I Pray, Father, that our affections and our hearts will come to the place where we say, yeah, I believe that. And then I pray that you will give us wills to obey, that we will carry out the things that we have heard and the things that we believe, and they will work themselves out in the actions of our lives. Father, would you teach us something new? There's always new things that we have to learn. Or maybe you will remind us of things that we have forgotten, because there are times when we just go through life and we forget stuff, and we need to be reminded of it. So guide us in this passage, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Future events shape us, our thinking about them, our planning for them, and some of those events shape us more than other events. Take, for instance, planning a big vacation, um, maybe in Europe or down to South America or over to Asia. You have to book a car rental, you've got to book hotels, you begin saving money for that trip, making sure you have enough money, you get your passports in order, you get the vaccines that are necessary to travel to those particular countries, you look for the best plane tickets that you can and you purchase them 
If you've got pets, you find people that will look after your pets for you. You find somebody to look after your house. You get your will in order, in order that you can take that trip. In other words, that trip that you are planning down the road shapes your behavior. It shapes your thinking. It shapes your conversations because you're thinking about it. You're planning for it. You're preparing for it. There's a lot of things that do that in our lives. You could put in there a, a retirement. You're planning on retiring, and some start having that shape them by their early teens or their early 20s, and they begin shaping their world for the day that they'll retire. For other, it could, others, it could be a wedding, or for some, it's graduation, or for some, it will be Christmas soon. Christmas will begin to consume our thoughts and shape the way that we think and shape the way that we plan. It will challenge our behaviors. Do you think that the coming of the end of the world would shape your behavior? Have you ever thought about how that might happen or when that might happen? Well, the Bible speaks very clearly that there is coming a day when this present heavens and this earth will be destroyed by fire. It describes that as a day in history, a day that begins with the coming of Christ and then that ushers in all the events that will lead to the end of this world as we know it. If that is true, should that shape your thinking? Should it shape your, your, your priorities? Should it shape how you live and your behaviors? Well, the answer of the Bible and what Peter will show us, particularly next week, is absolutely it should shape how we live. So how does the promise of the return of Christ shape your thinking? Have you thought about it all this week? Have you thought about it at all this past month? Do you think about what that day will be like when all of a sudden the trumpet sounds and Christ descends from heaven as he went up into heaven before the watching disciples back in the beginning of Acts? I realize that, that having a specific date is different than having a date down the road. And so if we know exactly the day that our plane leaves to go to Europe, that we've got a specific date that we focus on where the date of Christ's return is unknown to everyone except to God. And so there's a little bit of a difference there. But the Bible tells us very clearly that God has fixed a day. Remember Jesus said, nobody knows the hour or the time, not even the Son of Man, but your Father in heaven knows it. And Paul tells us God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world through Jesus Christ. For some, that day will be a day of salvation, and for others, it will be a day of judgment. And so again, the, the question needs to be asked, in light of that coming day which the Bible speaks of, how does the anticipation of that shape your living? How should it shape your living? How should it shape your thinking? Remember, Paul is or Peter has written two letters. This is the second one. And in those letters, the content of them works itself around a reminder of the promise of the coming of Jesus Christ. He wants to remind them of this reality. He wants to remind them that it's spoken of in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets speak of the coming day of judgment, the coming day of the Lord. And all through the New Testament, you can find references to the promise of the second coming. So he says, you need to be reminded of that. I don't know if you ever asked yourself, why do I need to be reminded of anything? Why do we gather together as a church? And it is so good for us to gather again. Why do we gather? Well, we gather because the gospel leaks. We gather because we leave here, we go out into the world, and the world is full of so many distractions, 
So many different voices. Not only are there different voices within the church, but there's different voices outside of the church. The music we listen to, the podcasts we listen to, the people we work around, all of that. And it, 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 it pushes out and it exposes the leakages in our, in our, our lives. We, we drift even. If you've ever had a boat and you, you sit it out in the ocean, it will drift with the tides or with the wind. And if you're not aware of that, you need to come back to where you started drifting from. And so when we gather together, we gather together to be reminded of the Word of God. We sing it. We pray it. We read it. But we need to be reminded of the Word of God because it leaks. It, 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 it leaves our thinking. We need to be reminded of things like this. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why do we need to be reminded of that? Well, because we sin. We go out from here and, and we sin. And some of you know the, the feeling that comes over you. And you think, oh, God's left me. He's abandoned me. He's never going to love me again. I've really done it this time. No, we need to remember the Bible. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, to, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to be reminded of that on a regular basis, lest we despair and slip into untruth. We need to be reminded that God is merciful and God is gracious. We need to be reminded of the extent of the gospel. That the gospel is not just about our salvation. It is about that. But the gospel is about the transformation of our marriages. The transformation of how we respond to our parents. The transformation of how parents respond to their children. A transformation of our lives in the workplace and in the schools that we go to. The gospel affects every nook and cranny of our lives. And we need to be reminded of that. And so that's why we gather together. And so Peter is aware of that. He's aware of all these things. And so he wants to remind them about the promise of the coming of the Lord. And he puts it in the context of what he's going to say, in the context of the last days. A lot of you have heard that phrase if you've grown up in a church or if you've been around a church for any length of times, the last days. And, and sometimes there's a misunderstanding about it. The Bible clearly defines the last days. The last days are defined as the period of time between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. So far, we've been in the last days for about 2,000 years. Now, there, could be, there will be an end of the last days, but the Bible speaks constantly about us living in the last days, as the Christians have for the last thousands of years. It's described on the day of Pentecost, the, begin, the birth of the church, not long after Jesus was taken up into heaven. They were all gathered together, remember praying, and the Spirit of God descended from heaven and filled them all with this incredible power, and, and the Word of God flowed out of them. And Peter gets up and he says to them, And it will be in the last days that God will pour out his spirit on all men. He's defining that time in which they lived as the last days. You can go to uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and the first five or six verses describes, uh, well, Paul talks this way. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulties. And if you read the next verses, he describes the days in which we live precisely, accurately, it's a period of time in which we live. Hebrews talks about the fact that, that there have come prophets of all different kinds throughout the, the, the history of the world. But in the last days, God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. So when Jesus came and was preaching and teaching, that was the beginning of the last days. So there are lots of things that remind us that we're in the last days. 
you can read Matthew 24, 25. You can read uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2, second, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And you can read about events that will remind us that we're in the last days and we're getting closer and closer to the return of Christ. Peter zeroes in on one. Know this, that in the last days, scoffers will come. There will come in the last days those will, who will ridicule you for your faith. They will ridicule you for your confidence in the Word of God. They will ridicule you for your trust in the Word of God. We see that everywhere. You, you, can, you can go to a, a neighborhood block party and, and you can sometimes find the sneers if, if there's been something Christian that has happened in the world or, or somebody is talking about Christian things. You can go to your workplace. You can go to your school and, and go to your class at school and, and find that Christian things are, are mocked and they're scoffed at. That's a sign or one of the signs that we're living in the last days. Jesus says many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. He says, John says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. So what are they scoffing about? Peter is referring to a specific focus of scoffing in the last days. Not the only focus, but a specific one. Where is he? Where's Jesus? You've been waiting for him for an awful long time, haven't you? I don't see any evidence of him. I haven't seen him appear on the horizon. I haven't heard a trumpet, and I've been listening. Where is the promise of his coming? Jeremiah describes that kind of scoffer is one that lives in a world of deception, and in their deception, they refuse to know me. Ezekiel, uh, in chapter 12, de describes uh, this way, Son of man, what is the proverb that you have heard in the land of Israel, saying, the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? That's a kind of scoffing. Come on, there's no promise. We've been hearing that for a long, long time. Where is It's not a question that we just ask, though, of the return of the Lord, is it? Some of you and us have had those thoughts ourselves. Where's Christ? And not just in relation to his return, because we've been waiting a long time, but some of us in the circumstances of my life. Where's Christ? I've got cancer. Where's Christ? How is it that my son or my daughter died? Christianity real? Where is Christ? Something has happened in your heart. Somewhere along the line, you, you, you've, you've turned from consideration and maybe even belief to cynicism. You don't really believe in Christ anymore. And you're here today because your spouse is here or because your parents are here or because your grandparents used to come all the time, but you don't really believe in prayer anymore. You're not really encouraged by the gospel anymore. You're not really anchored in the promises of the word of God. You really do resonate with the scoffers. Where is his promise? Where is his coming? Can we count on Jesus anymore? So you get a, a sense of this as you listen to their tone. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And in Pentecostal churches, um, for a great period of time in the 70s and 80s, 
there was always a Sunday night service on the end times. And, and they would preach constantly that Christ could come back anytime. He could come back before the service is over. He certainly could come back during the week. And there was this constant hyper-awareness of the possibility of the return of Christ. Now, that was true. But when you live through that for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, it was not uncommon for people to lose sight and focus on that reality. And of course, these scoffers now had been pointing to ever since the creation of the world, things have gone on as they always have. They're basically saying, this is a closed universe. Come on, figure this out for yourself. Divine information is ruled out. God doesn't intervene in this world. Ever since creation, things have been pretty well uniform. And you know, there's been no big events in the, in the course of history. There's been no, no, no act of creation. There's been no flood in this world. It's been a pretty easy, relatively um, similar world ever since the beginning of creation. Zephaniah describes the attitude a little bit like this. He says, Jesus says, that God says, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. I will punish the men who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, The Lord will not do good or evil. They might say something like, Okay, there may be a God, but it really doesn't matter. We have talked often in this church about self-talk. How you talk to yourself really, really matters that you, you, we need to work on sanctifying our self-talk. We need to speak truth to ourselves. Well, listen, it says here again, listen how they speak to themselves. Who say to themselves, the Lord will not do good or the Lord will not do evil. In other words, there, there's no God, really. And if there is, he doesn't really care what happens. He doesn't do good, he doesn't do evil. It's their way of saying there is no God. It's their way of saying that, that we, we, we may live in a world in which there's a God, but he doesn't intervene in this world. He just kind of sits away up there and he watches the world go by. Or, or they're agnostics and no, nah, there, there really is no God. Look, there's no evidence of him at all intervening in this world in any specific way. So how do we counter this self-talk? Uh, how does Peter respond to, to, to these scoffers? How does he say, okay, I get it. I understand what they're saying. This is how you ought to respond. This is what I want to remind you of as a people of God. And he gives three reasons, and we'll look at them. One is the power of the Word of God. The second is the performance of the Word of God. And the third is the promise of the Word of God. He uses three examples to say, no, the Word of God should be your guide and your confidence and your trust in life. And that is true all the time. Whenever we doubt Whenever we, 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 we start telling ourselves there is no God, there is no Christ, he doesn't care, he's not involved in my life, what is the way that we begin to counter it? We go back to Scripture, and we read the Word of God, and we remind ourselves of the truths of God, and we remind ourselves of the character of God. We remind ourselves of the goodness of God, and we keep speaking truth to ourselves. And so Peter's first response to the scoffers in view of the fact that they're saying that nothing has ever changed, he first, he first simply says, well, you need to think about the power of God. He says, these scoffers, when they say this, they willfully choose not to believe. It's like they've determined in their minds, in their heads, um, um, without any consideration, just 
out of hand. Now, God's never been involved in this world. Well, Peter says, no, no. God has been involved in this world. Think about creation. Peter goes right back to the very beginning of our world, and he says, I want you to think about creation. He says, by the power of his word, he spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. That is crazy. That is incredible power. To be able to think something in your head and then speak it into existence. God created, Genesis tells us, the expanse between the water, separating water from water. So God made the expanse. This is Genesis chapter 1, I think about verses 6 to verse 11. God created the expanse of water and under expanse and the water above the expanse, and God called the expanse sky. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place and let dry land appear, and so it was. God called the land earth and the gathering of the waters seas. God spoke this universe into existence. Psalm 33, 6 to 9 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the water of the seas as a heap. He puts the deeps in their storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Hebrews eleven three, the writer there says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Psalm 148, verses 4 to 5, Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of God, for he commanded, and they were created. We've got to wrap our heads around that, loved ones. There is, it's, just, it's amazing to consider that. As I was telling the first congregation, I was out on visitation on Saturday and happened to catch a salmon. And, and this has been through my head, this, what Peter's been talking about and, and the power of the Word of God. And I looked at that thing and I said, God, how, how did you do it? You, you saw this fish, everything about it. You created the cycle in which it lives its life from being um, uh, hatched in a river, going out to the ocean, swimming around for four or five years, coming back to the exact same river and, and laying its eggs and, and, and fertilizing those eggs and then dying. And then all the organs, all the stuff that go, and you spoke that. And there was a salmon. God did that for the universe and the world in which we live. Is that not incredible power? To think something and then to speak it, and it comes into existence. And you might say, well, how does that rebuff the scoffers? We're saying, where's the coming of Christ? Well, for one, it's saying, God's word is powerful. Don't doubt the power of God's word. Listen, he spoke this world into existence. God is massive beyond anything you might ever imagine. This is why the Bible drives us back to this this consideration. You, You find it again and again and again. Who is the most, what is the most powerful thing you can think of? Well, for me, it's a God who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. And if God can do that, there is nothing that is impossible for God. 
It's also a way of, 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 of reminding the people of God that God intervenes in this world. We don't live in a closed universe. We live in a universe, yes, that is governed by fixed laws, but God is able at any time to, in, 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 to, to stop those laws or to override those laws. God is uh, possible at any moment to come in and walk in this world and to, and to do a miracle in this world. God is not restricted by a closed universe. And so Peter is saying, listen, God is involved in this world. His word is something to contend with. So that's his first response, is his word is something to contend with. The second answer he gives is in verse 6. These are huge topics we're covering in just a couple minutes. But in verse 6, he says there, And by that means, by means of water and the word, and by that means, by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. There's a whack said in those few words. What he's saying is that God used the same things that he used to create the world, water and his word, to destroy the world, water and his word. Through these, that is, through water and his word, the world at that time perished and was flooded by water. You see, in, in Noah's days, God unleashed water through his word. The physical world wasn't destroyed, but everything that had the breath of life in their lungs, whether it crept on the earth or flew over the earth or walked on the earth, and all human life was destroyed in the flood. This is how Moses describes it. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventh day of that month, on that day. Notice, it's a specific day. There's a day in history, a 24-hour period in history, in which on a specific day, it says all the sources of the watery depths burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that same day, that same 24-hour period, Noah entered into the ark. It's hard to describe the, the cataclysmic nature of this event. That all of a sudden, the earth just burst upward from inside. And all the reservoirs of water, all the, the holding tanks of water, all the pools of water, at the same time just began to burst forth. It, it would have been a terrifying experience. And at the same time, the heavens burst open, and for 40 days and 40 nights, it rained. And Moses continues, the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole ocean, heaven were covered. This was a global event. Scripture, everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land perished. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark and the waters surged on the earth 150 days. What's Peter's point? Is Peter's point is that if the flood was true, this is why faith and your Bible and believing it and understanding its origin and who wrote it matters. Peter's saying if the flood was true and that God could speak a word And the world underneath and all the reservoirs burst forward and the heavens pour forth their rain 
and he flooded the whole earth and destroyed it, and he has done that, then God can also destroy the present heaven and earth by fire at the end of this age. Do you understand why so many people want to, dis want to discount the flood at all? There's a theological reason. There's a God reason why people want to say there's no flood. It's one of the reminders to us that God did it once. God can do it again. And to understand how believing that the flood was localized doesn't help. Because if the flood was localized, then there was a whole bunch of people that escaped the judgment of the flood. And if the flood was localized, then God's promise not to flood the earth is meaningless, and he needs to apologize to the citizens of Germany. Now, Peter is talking about a cataclysmic event in the history of mankind when God, by the power of his word, unleashed the waters below the dry land and above the dry land and destroyed life on it. God promised he would never destroy the earth again by a flood, and he never has, and he never will. But he will destroy the earth again by fire. God's word always accomplishes its purposes. It performs what God says it will do. Ezekiel has a, reminds us of this, where God says, For I am the Lord God. I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. I will no longer be delayed, but in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word of God and perform it. None of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord. Peter just wants to remind them of this. God's word is not a maybe. God's word is reliable, and it will accomplish what God intends it to accomplish. It will perform its end. And so he's wanting to say, if you're doubting that, that God says there is coming a day when Christ will return and will judge the earth, remember the flood, Peter is saying. Just remember the flood. Remember the word of God. That on a single day, God began to flood the earth. 371 days later, the door of the ark was opened, and out walked Noah and his family and the rest of the animals. And what Jesus is, Jesus understood this. He knew this, and he wanted to remind the people, and now us, through his words. And he says there, for as were the days of Noah, this is so important that we understand and believe biblical history and world history. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the man, son of man. The days of Noah compared to the days just before Christ comes back. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They're just going on as, as life around us does right now. Even through this, the, the circumstances of this last 15, 16, 70 months, it's been a little bit curtailed, but life has been going on. People have been married. Uh, people are working. Um, life is going on. Until the day when Noah entered the ark. Again, there's that reference to a day. Until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. It will be characterized by just life as normal. People just doing, doing what people do. Living in this world in which we live. The day when the earth the waters below the earth burst forward and the heavens came down the day when Christ comes back 
and destroys this present heavens and earth with fire. Peter's first rebuttal is simply, remember the power of the word of God. Never doubt its power. His second rebuttal is, remember the flood and the performance of God's word. God's word is powerful, and he will always accomplish what he says. And the final thing that he says is in verse 7. And notice, by the same word. The same word that created the world. The same word that said, let it rain. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This present world in which we live, the heavens and the earth, the word that life inhabits, is awaiting a day of destruction, a fixed day, where God will destroy this earth by fire. To this point, it's as though God is saying, not yet, not yet, not yet. And as in the days of Noah, people are living as though it will never happen. And people are speaking as though it will never happen. And God is going, not yet, not yet. And we'll see next week why God is going, not yet, because he's patient. And he's gracious and he's merciful. And he wants all to be rescued and saved from that day. But there will come a day. And I've already mentioned that the Bible tells us very clearly God has fixed a day. There will come a day in which God says, now. It will be a 24-hour day like the days in which we live. And God will say, now is the day I have fixed. Jesus will return. And that will bring in the destruction of the present world that we know. I don't know what it will look like, you know. I don't think Moses had the foggiest idea, or Moses, Noah had the foggiest idea what the world would look like after being on the ark for 371 days. The deep cut loose, the heavens let go, the earth floated around, but God unleashed enough water, there was enough water under the earth and above the earth to flood even the highest points of the earth. We think about fire. The earth's core is a core of molten lava, estimated to be between 10 and 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The sun is one big firebomb, estimated to be some 12 million degrees Fahrenheit. And there's all kinds of stars like the sun in our universe. The only reason I say that is, is simply because God has the means, without having to create anything, that it's not a hard concept at all to think that God has what is necessary to do what he says he will do. To sure, there's going to be some continuity. Just as there was a continuity between the pre-flood world and the post-flood world, but there is a lot of differences. There's massive mountains, and there's probably separation in in land masses, to what degree, I don't know, but it was a different world. And so there will, but it was a recognizable world. And so too, uh, before the day that God destroys the present heaven and earth, we will see a world. But at the end of that period of time, however long it takes for that to take place, when all of a sudden the, the door opens again, the door to life, and, and God says, here's the new heavens and the earth, it will blow us away. It will be stuff that we've never seen before. It will be a world that we've never 
dreamt of before, but God is able to do it. What is clear is that Peter says there is coming a cataclysmic event that will bring this present heavens and this earth to an end. And that will, we can count on that because of the promise that God has made to us. And so he's saying to these people, listen, scoffers are going to come, I get it. And it's going to be tempting to listen to them. But they are revisionists. They, 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 they look at history and they take out things that don't make their case and they, they put in things that do make their case. And they just happen to forget that God made the world and they just happen to forget that there was a flood. He says, no, read the whole Bible. He says, just listen to the word of God. See what it says about the power of his word. See what it says about the performance of his word. Understand the promises of his word. And stand on that word. Do you believe in the power of God's word, loved ones? Do you believe in the performance of God's word? Even in your own salvation, if you're saved. Did you not believe the word of God that says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, you will be saved? You've already believed in the power of God. Isn't that a mighty miracle? That God can take we who are dead in our sins and give us life? That God can take our sins and he can put them behind his back and remove them as far as the east is from the west and never remember them before. And that he can perform that because when you put your trust in God, you were made new and you felt a transformation and you know there's something different about you. You have a different way of thinking. You have a different way of living. Oh, we're not perfect, but something has happened in you. And you say, no, God's word has performed it. And then as you think about salvation, don't you think about the promise of salvation? That he who began a good work in your life is going to let it go after 10 years because he's tired of you? No. He will finish the work that he started in you on the day of Christ's appearing. So if you're a Christian, you already believe in the power of God's word, in the performance of God's word, and in the promise of God's word. Peter is saying, just expand that now to other areas of your life. And let the word of God govern your thinking and determine your behaving and shape your life. I, I don't know if, if somebody asked you, what do you wish you could know for certain in light of this world's promised impending destruction? I don't know if what people in Noah's day might have said in response to that question. It's a fascinating question. I mean, we, we do think about the end of the world in various ways today, but what would you like to know for certain? This much I do know for certain. The Bible tells me that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Bible tells me that it is through Christ and Christ alone that we will be preserved. This is why God has been merciful to us yet and continues to say, not yet, not yet. For the opportunity for whoever wants to, to say, I want to put my trust in Christ. And just as the ark was the means of preservation for Noah and his family, Christ is our ark. He is our means of salvation and preservation through the coming day when this present heavens and earth will be destroyed with fire.
Put your trust in Christ. Put your hope in Christ. Get into the ark of Christ. God is waiting for you to repent. God is saying to you, not yet, not yet. So you can yet have an opportunity to say, Christ, will you be my Savior? Father, thank you for your word today. These are not easy words, Father. There are lots of things that sometimes we would rather not have as topics of conversation. But we all want to hear the truth, I think, deep down in our hearts. And sometimes we need to hear the truth. And, and so, Father, whatever is true and whatever is right and whatever is of your word of God, would you allow that to continue to haunt us and resonate in our hearts and minds? But whatever has been false and whatever has been misspoken and whatever has come out of my mouth, even in these last words, that is additional, would you just allow that to disseminate and go away? Father, I believe in the power of your word. I've experienced it. I believe in the performance of your word. I have experienced it. And I believe in your promises because they have come true in the past and I will stake my life on it in the present. May that be true of everyone in this building and listening today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.